Welcome to the next episode of Strategize to Succeed, Selectively applying the strategies which we discuss each week will help you as you progress from conditions to opportunities to successes. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the topic of grumpiness and, despite its reputation, whether it can be beneficial in the scheme of things. Apparently, when addressing the subject of grumpiness, the immediate thought goes to envisioning a less than pleasant looking cat. The basis for this conclusion is that of the 30 or more articles which your mentor read on grumpiness this week, with the exception of two, all featured a picture of such a cat at the beginning of the article. I don't know why the abundance of unhappy looking felines but I will admit that by the time that I experienced all of their cranky postures, I was also starting to feel grumpy. So let's delve into the world of grumpiness, how we get it, can we benefit from it, and how we can get rid of it. Of the many articles which I read to put grumpiness into somewhat concrete terms, there was one which stood far above the others and not for the hostile-looking cat photo. The article is entitled, How to Be Grumpy, A Guide to Managing Grumpiness Well, by clinical psychologist Dr. Nick Wignall. This article reeled me in by first defining the terms, which is also where we'll begin. Grumpiness is often rather elusive to define, The words are simple enough, most frequently bad-tempered or irritable. But the problem is why. Many sources end the discussion by saying that grumpiness is likely due to an imbalance in one's system, such as a bad diet or a lack of sleep. Well, if it were as simple as that, probably most people would be grumpy most of the time. Dr. Wignall moves beyond the easy answers and explores the causes of grumpiness, and he focuses on three. First, one can be grumpy due to unmet needs, specifically a psychological need which requires fulfillment by someone else. This issue dovetails with a lack of assertiveness along with an inability to communicate such needs. The second cause of grumpiness is attributable to having unmet expectations. In this instance, it is important to periodically review and assess the expectations of those around you and compare them to your own so that you can try to prevent disappointment. The final reason for grumpiness is negative self-talk. Dr. Wignall considers this issue to be one of the most prevalent causes of grumpiness. He notes that people can be mean to themselves by repeatedly speaking to themselves in a, quote, overly critical, judgmental, harsh, rude, even threatening, close quote, way. This consistently negative treatment of oneself can become automatic 
and result in entering a stage of grumpiness. While it is likely that everyone can become grumpy once in a while, chronic grumpiness can become a problem for some individuals. This can happen when any of the noted behaviors becomes a habitual course of action. In addition, one can be plagued with what Dr. Wignall terms meta-grumpiness, which happens, quote, when you get grumpy about being grumpy, close quote. That state can occur when a specific incident precipitates a bout of grumpiness. Then one may become prone to scolding themselves for allowing themselves to be triggered into grumpiness. The cycle continues because the provoked grumpiness takes hold and the grumpy individual is learning that it's bad to feel bad and beyond that, it is dangerous. The result is that the brain can become, quote, hypersensitive to grumpiness, close quote. Prior to relinquishing a grumpy demeanor, Let's take note that there is some behavioral benefit to maintaining such an attitude. Apparently, quote, cranks may be superior negotiators, more discerning decision makers, and cut their risk of having a heart attack. Cynics can expect more stable marriages, higher earnings, and longer lives, though of course they'll anticipate the opposite, close quote. That quotation came from another article, Your Grumpiness May Be Your Greatest Gift, by Derek Barris. And in an article entitled The Case for Being Grumpy at Work, by Meredith Bennett Smith, research is cited indicating that forcing a standard of artificial cheeriness can lead to emotional exhaustion and withdrawal, along with a host of physical health problems. Conversely, quote, research has also shown that a pessimistic outlook can lead to higher productivity, fewer mistakes, and better communication skills, close quote. Furthermore, Dr. Joseph Forgus, a professor of psychology at the University of New South Wales, found that when individuals felt, quote, slightly down, close quote, or the equivalent of grumpy, some became, quote, more attentive and detail-oriented, close quote, in their thinking. And, quote, communication and critical thinking skills can increase when happiness levels decrease, close quote. I would point out that there seems to be some disagreement on the impact of grumpiness on one's work. While the noted research indicates that there are benefits to be found in being grumpy, Dr. Wignall stated that although not familiar with any research on the subject matter, he has, quote, no doubt that bad moods and grumpiness account for a shockingly high amount of lost productivity and creativity in the workplace, close quote. He attributes this assessment to the assumption that a grumpy person would have a lack of focus on anything other than the grumpiness at hand. So, where does all this research leave one? Is it better to be grumpy, but perhaps more skillful and productive? 
or perpetually pleasant, but maybe not as effective as an employee. The strategic path to follow is really open for debate, depending on your personal preferences. However, if you find that you're mired in grumpiness and would like to move out of the dark side, author David Zinger can offer you 22 tools for overcoming your grumpiness. His objective with these suggestions is not the complete elimination of grumpiness, but rather an amelioration of the condition by increasing one's mindfulness of it so as to reduce the negative impact. Although I'm not going to recite this litany of suggestions, you will find the article citation in this episode's transcript. Suffice it to say, Mr. Zinger advocates being attentive to the state of your grumpy condition and getting out of your own way to assist someone else so as to readjust your priorities. Dr. Wignall's approach to getting past one's grumpiness is not a matter of eliminating the condition so much as managing it for a peaceful coexistence with the rest of one's life. His choice to work with it rather than try to annihilate it is evidenced by titling the self-improvement section How to Be Grumpy Like a Pro. In it, Dr. Wignall makes four suggestions which are relatively easy to remember and easy to use. The first is to, quote, acknowledge the grumpiness, close quote. Taking the step is essential because it is a matter of becoming aware of the condition, recognizing it, and identifying it. So how is one supposed to acknowledge this state? Simple enough. Say to yourself, quote, I feel grumpy, close quote. The second step is to, quote, validate the grumpiness, close quote. In this step, one must address the distinction between something feeling bad and something being bad. If something is bad, then it would qualify as being, quote, dangerous, harmful, or immoral, close quote. Certainly, those descriptions don't apply to garden variety grumpiness, so it would qualify as simply feeling bad. Dr. Wignall suggests that to validate grumpiness, one should say to themselves, quote, it's okay that I feel grumpy, even though I don't like it, close quote. The point here is to objectify the grumpiness, view it from an arm's length, as if it belonged to someone other than yourself. Recognize that being in a state of grumpiness does not make one any less of a good and healthy person. For many people, taking only these first two steps will be enough to move them beyond any debilitating effects from their grumpiness. For others, step three is available. In this case, the plan is to, quote, get curious about the grumpiness, close quote. This process is more exploratory as to why, but it is not to be judgmental. Keep in mind that curiosity indicates 
that you have confidence in the journey of asking why. The statement recommended by Dr. Wignall is, quote, it's interesting that I'm grumpy, close quote. With that opening, the questioning should consider both events and thoughts. The focus should be on what happened or what thoughts occurred immediately before the episode of grumpiness, which set off the behavior. This diagnostic approach can often reveal very simple triggers, which can be subsequently avoided. The final step is to, quote, welcome the grumpiness, close quote. And the suggested phrase is, quote, I can go about my day despite feeling grumpy, close quote. As Dr. Wignall explains, quote, commit to doing some extremely small task and welcome your grumpiness to come along for the ride. Just do something with an attitude of willingness for your grumpiness to be there. When you welcome grumpiness along for the ride, you train your brain to view grumpiness as a non-threat, close quote. The point of these seemingly innocuous four steps is just what they seem. It's a matter of defanging the grumpiness, taking away its power, understanding that a bout of grumpiness may be unpleasant, but it won't do any harm. So recognize it and then work around it. Eventually, the grumpiness will dissolve once it realizes that it can have no power over you. Dismantling the grumpiness is probably easier in the long run, rather than just wallowing in it. As expressed by Ted Danson, the actor, quote, you use and lose a lot of energy being grumpy, close quote. Thank you for sharing your time today. Remember your application of strategic decision-making approaches can result in more beneficial outcomes for you, both professionally and personally. Why not turn that process into your opportunity?